Here's what's ahead of us on Abounding Grace. There are to be no negotiations with the enemy. There are to be no negotiations with the enemy. When you try to appease the enemy, he will never be satisfied. He will never be satisfied. The more you yield, the more he takes. And the more he takes, the more he wants. And I believe in a very strong principle of the weakness. If, if you show your weakness in that way of negotiating with the enemy, he's going to go after that weakness constantly and attack and attack in that same way. This is amazing grace. This is We're excited to open God's wonderful Word with you today on Abounding Grace. Turn, if you would, to 2 Kings 18, and we'll join Pastor Ed Taylor at verse 9 in a second. It's common for the leaders of countries to negotiate, even with countries they might look upon as threats or as an enemy. But when it comes to our great enemy, Satan, we need to come to realize there is to be no negotiation. If you do, you'll lose every time. Here's Pastor Ed to explain. Notice now in verse 9. Now it came to pass in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hoshea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. And at the end of three years they took it, and in the sixth year of Hezekiah, that is the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Israel, Samaria was taken. Then the king of Assyria carried Israel away captive to Assyria and put them in Halah, by the harbor, or Habor, the river of Gozan, and then the city of Medes, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant and all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, that they would neither hear nor do them. And in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, verse 13, Sennacherib, the king of Syria, came up against the fortified cities of Judah and took them. Then Hezekiah, the king of Judah, sent to king of Assyria, at Lachish, saying, I've done wrong. Turn away from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will pay. And the king of Assyria assessed Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. So Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and all the treasuries of the king's house. And check this out. Hezekiah was a great king, but he wasn't perfect. At that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the pillars which Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. It didn't take but four years. According to my math, he's about 29 years old, and he's facing the battle of his life because he makes that decision to live a life that honors God, and it didn't take long. I mean, four years is not very long as he settles himself as the king to face this attack, as we have seen over and over again. The king is making a great error here as he responds to the attack of the enemy. He's got attacked by four in four years by one king and then another 10 years by Sennacherib. And Hezekiah just sees 
the difficulty of the situation, and I made a mistake, and he's, and we can't forget here, as we're studying through the life of Hezekiah, he, we are studying him as a man, and as a great example to follow, and how he went back to David, but this is also a political issue. He is politically overseeing his role is to politically oversee the nation as unto the Lord. There's the king, there's the priest who is responsible for the spiritual care of the nation. And then there, remember, if the king isn't going well and the priest isn't doing well, then what would God do? He would raise up a prophet. And so those are the different people that God would use. And so don't misunderstand that Hezekiah personally is the one that's doing this. It's by his leadership as the political overseer of the nation. So as the political overseer of the nation, we've got to get our lives right back with God. Check. And let's live for God. Check. Oh, the enemy's coming. Oh, I don't know. No mention of prayer. No mention of calling for the priest. No mention of a prophet speaking at this time. And then another battle comes, and now Hezekiah's going, oh, I just, we'll just pay him off. And this is a great error here. As he's stealing from the temple in order to gain some kind of temporary peace. Now, he doesn't believe it's temporary peace. This, there's, we know the full story, but anyone going in this direction of compromise, I believe if their eyes were open, they would just consider their situation, really thinks they're going to get what they're looking for in permanent peace. Like, I'm just going to get, there's a sense of temporary relief that will continually be with me. And Hezekiah thinks he's not going to be dealt with by the enemies anymore. So much so that he was willing to go into the temple, to the house of God, and strip the gold off of the pillars. He stripped, it says, verse 16. He stripped the gold off the doors of the temple of the Lord from the pillars which Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid, and he gave it to the king. Instead of calling out to the God that supplied that gold in the first place, that's where he got it from before, Beside, instead of calling out to the God that established him as king, instead of calling out to the God that he worshipped by getting rid of all the pillars, and I mean getting rid of all the idolatry in the land, he takes things into his own hands. And I see a principle here that I can't, we can't just overlook, especially from the perspective of Hezekiah with the enemy, and it's simply this. Listen, you might want to jot it down. This is a warning now. It's a warning in the middle of it, and it'll be a warning in the future. There are to be no negotiations with the enemy. There are to be no negotiations with the enemy. When you try to appease the enemy, he will never be satisfied. He will never be satisfied. The more you yield, the more he takes. And the more he takes, the more he wants. And I believe in a very strong principle of the weakness. If, if you show your weakness in that way of negotiating with the enemy, he's going to go after that weakness constantly and attack and attack in that same way. The very first sin in the Garden of Eden was the, the result of deceit and compromise. Believing the lie. Even her little conversation with the devil, negotiating. Don't do it, guys. Be careful not to negotiate with sin. Paul would tell young Timothy this way in 2 Timothy 2.22. He says, flee youthful lusts. 
and instead pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Notice, same principle. With all who call upon the name of the Lord. That's why being in a position of worship at any time, whether it's a church service like this, or turning on the radio to listen to a Bible study, putting in a podcast, gathering together with other men and women that love Jesus Christ. Anytime you do that, you are pursuing righteousness. Now, of course, if you're pursuing righteousness, when you gather together and you come through and you're like, you know, I made, I've made our midweek Bible study a big part of my life. But you know what? I haven't seen a big change. Another Bible study, I'm taking notes, I'm learning, but I haven't seen a significant change. And that may well be true because change takes time. It, you know, some change takes time. That's, that may be true. It's okay. You're not, a, you're not an unusual. That's not unusual. Because in our instant society that we just expect everything right away, it would think, man, if two Bible studies, two massive changes. One Bible. No, no, it takes time. The Lord's working out. He's doing all kinds of things. But might I just suggest this? That just just, just, like, just suggest this massive change when you get together with another believer, when you come to a Wednesday night Bible study, when you come to a service, serve in another service, when you open your home Bible study, when you pray, whenever you're doing things pursuing righteousness, can I just say one of the major changes that you're experiencing that you may not realize is, is that the moments you're seeking the Lord, you're not seeking the world. Just that. In the moments you're seeking God, you're not dabbling in the things of the world. In the moments you're seeking God, you're not, you're not wasting your time. In the moment you're seeking God, you're not actively raging in sin. Uh, you're not punching holes in the wall. You're not yelling at people. You're, you're not involved in all kinds of things that might be a foothold and a bondage. And so let's just say, let's just say, just let's say for, for six months, you've made a church uh, a gathering with other believers a big part of your life. So six months, 26 hours, that's 26 hours you've invested in your life in spiritual things. Do you not think God is not going to use that in your life, 26 hours? Is there anything else you invest 26 hours in? I mean, 26 hours is significant. And then it goes to 52, then it goes to 100. Before you know it, the massive change has been happening all along in smaller ways. And we want some big explosive change. But when you gather together and you, like for, for example, there might be someone listening right now, listening to this Bible study because they chose to run away from sexual lust to be in the place of a Bible study. That is a major change. And you do that long enough, you're going to create a new habit in your life. And you're going to start to see women in your life as sisters. And you're going to start to see men in your life as brothers. And you're going to be finding yourself, wow, I'm not even going to church to run away from youthful lust anymore. Yeah, because God has been doing that inward work in your life. And he's been doing it over time with your cooperation of obedience. And so massive changes don't always show up overnight. There's a Bible word for that. It's called sanctification. That's the spiritual Bible word that describes God changing you from the inside out. So that now, you know, maybe you were, uh, let's use the one that is more popular or more common. Before you got saved, the F-bomb was a big part of your vocabulary. And you just knew, man, and when I go to church, I probably shouldn't use the F-bomb. Okay, you just, that, amen, good choice. It's probably not good to use that word around the brothers and the sisters and the kids. And so you made a conscious human decision, I will not cuss anymore. And you were okay, pretty successful at it a while. You slipped up now and then. But then you found yourself in the company of believers where you just wouldn't do it. And then over time, it's not a conscious choice anymore. 
You just don't cuss anymore. Why? Because God did the work. It wasn't your decision not to cuss as much as you chose to cooperate with God. It was the very power of God inside of you changing your desires and giving you different thoughts and different actions. And even then, you're not even so mad anymore. Which is why you drew that through the F-bomb around anyway. And occasionally it comes back and it scares you. You're like, I haven't cussed in forever, but man, I just dropped the F-bomb the other day and I'm like, maybe I'm not saved. No, no, no. No, you just, you sinned. You're in the flesh. You're a saved person now that worries about the F-bomb coming out of their mouth. How did that happen? God. It doesn't mean you're a lousy believer. It's just a reminder. Oh, yeah. The flesh is alive and well. Always looking for a way out. Always looking for a way to manifest itself. Always looking for a way. That's why there's no negotiations with the enemy. He will only want more. Run away from whatever besets you and hang out with people that are going to help you. Run away from it. Flee youthful lusts. And this isn't just sexual. It's this lusting after the things of the world, just like Paul said in Philippians. It's just this earth has such a hold on us. Run away from that stuff and start hanging out with people that are going to build you up. People that are going to pray with you. People that are going to talk about spiritual things. Be careful. Be watchful. Don't negotiate with the enemy. Because you'll end up stealing the gold from God. You may be here saying, I'll never steal from God. But what do we rob from God when we live in the flesh? I mean, if you chose to try to walk out with one of the offering boxes, I think we'd probably catch you. <laughs> there's probably GPS in there, and if you took it home, we'd follow you there too. And there's ink on the checks, and you'd have ink all over you. Like, it, just don't do it. Why? Because that money belongs to God. And you're like, I'd never walk out with the offering box. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. But can I ask you to consider today, are you robbing God because of your negotiations with the enemy? Are you robbing him of the talents he's given you? Are you robbing him of time? Are you robbing him of giving him the glory for the great things he has done? Are you robbing him in relationship? Which in, really, in essence, you're robbing yourself. I would never go to the temple and, man, and take the gold. I know he didn't start out that way, did he? But he ended up there here after a couple battles with the enemy. And he's like, I don't want to fight anymore. I don't want to fight. Here, let me just, can I pay you? Tell me what it would take. And, and he gives us, yeah, he assessed him. You know, he just kind of surrendered himself. Yeah, just go ahead and give me uh, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. And that time Hezekiah stripped the gold. Be careful. Verse 17, come back as we close up. Then the king of Assyria sent the tartan, and the Rapsaries and the Rapshekah from Lachish. I just like saying that, Rapshekah from Lachish. And with a great army against Jerusalem to King Hezekiah. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. And when they had come up, they came and stood by the aqueduct, by the upper pool, which was on the highway to the foolish field. And when they had called to the king Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, uh, who was over the household, Shebna, the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came out to them. Then Rapshekah said to him, or them, say now to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, 
What confidence is, is this in which you trust? You speak of having counsel and strength for war, but they are vain words. And in whom do you trust that you rebel against me? Now look, verse 21, you are trusting in the staff of this broken reed Egypt, on which if a man leans it will go into his hand and pierce it. So a Pharaoh king of Egypt, so is Pharaoh king of Egypt to all who trust in him. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? Now therefore I urge you, give a pledge to my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you 2,000 horses if you are able on your part to put riders on them. How then will you repel one captain of the least of my master's servants and put trust in the Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Have I not come to you without the Lord against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Let me just say, this is a mocker. <laughs> this is a mocker. And you know, it's true that many people's concept of God comes directly from those who say they follow him and those who worship him. And that's what's happening here. They're looking at the behavior of Hezekiah. They're looking at what he said compared to what he's done. And they're belittling the God that Hezekiah says he lives for. He says, who, who are you? you? Are you trusting in God or are you trusting in Egypt? And he's coming to intimidate him and mock him because the enemy always wants more. And for us, that, what we refer to in this is that people really do have a concept of God because of you and because of me. Our, we call it our witness. That's what we, when you hear that word around the church, it simply, it simply reflects uh, the, the, the significance of our lives send a message to people about the God that we serve. Our lives are decisions. And we refer to that as our witness, or we might even use the word testimony, as we give testimony and the testimony of our lives. A Hezekiah, because of his decision to pay off the king, appears weak in the eyes of this king. He appears weak. And so Shennacherib begins to boast against not only Hezekiah, but the God of Hezekiah. And one of the phrases that we use often, and I think, you know, it's just something to consider, is how many times have we blown our witness? Uh, I think many times. And how quick we need to, when we realize that, how quick we need to do to repair it and apologize for misrepresenting God and misrepresenting his place in our lives. This king, again, you don't negotiate with the enemy because now what happens, he sends 200,000 people to intimidate Hezekiah. And this is how it works. This is how it works. You think through compromise you'll be left alone and that things will get easier and the enemy will just leave you alone. But in reality, that's not how our enemy works. He looks for any weakness, not just to hassle you, not just to tempt you, not just to mess with you, not just to make you upset, not just to divide you from people that love you and divide you from your family and from your church family, but the ultimate thing, the enemy will not be satisfied until he takes you out completely. And isn't it significant in the days in which we live that we've never ever in the history of our country seen a higher suicide and attempted suicide rate than we see today? of how discouragement leads to despair, that leads to depression, 
that leads to hopelessness has been capturing the heart of so many. Not just the youth, although there's an increased number among the youth, but even among movie stars and idols of our world that people look up to and say, I want to be that person. I want to have what they have. I want their money. I want their notoriety. I want their platform. I want to sing like them. And you would think, you know, what people ascribe to is the highest level that this world has to offer, and they too are beset by this weakness and this difficulty. Why? Because we have a real enemy that goes after believer and unbeliever alike. And he's not happy with just a few scrapes from gold from the temple. He says, here you are. No, he's not happy with that. He's not happy with a little bit of compromise. Oftentimes, the person that's compromising senses a, has a sense of relief, but the enemy's not relieved. And, of course, the minute we submit ourselves to abiding back into Jesus Christ is the minute that the truth shows up. Because we see in this section from verses 17 to 25 that the enemy misunderstands Hezekiah. He's got a few pieces of information, but he misunderstood Why? Because it reminds us that the devil is not omnipresent. The devil is not omniscient. He doesn't know everything about you. One of the advantages that the devil has in our lives is that he's been around longer than us, and he's a student of human behavior. Like, he can't get in your head right now and read your thoughts. The devil cannot get into a believer's head and read your thoughts at all. No demonic force can invade the believer the enemy does all of his work on the outside for believers. Well, we, we believe the Bible teaches that the devil is a great oppressor, but he doesn't possess the believer. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's in you, and you're sealed by the Holy Spirit, and light and darkness can't coexist. So the Lord God is in you, but the enemy's smart, and he watches human behavior. Even you, you know, even us in our prayer, you know, people maybe in law enforcement are much more advanced in this than we are. But even in ours, like, we can tell, we can tell things in people's lives by their body language. We can tell, you know, simple things. You could pretty much tell if somebody's happy or sad. How? By their face. The enemy's far more advanced. And so he doesn't know everything. He just kind of makes some educated guesses. And he's not omnipresent. And remember, he's saying, you know, if you, don't, if you trust in God, then why are you destroying all the altars? See, he was wrong. Why was he destroying all the altars? Because they were false worship. He was worshiping God. So here, he took something that's supposed to look, you know, the enemy looks at it and goes, oh, look at you. Um, look at you. You don't even trust in God because you're destroying all the altars. But in reality, that's exactly what he was doing because he does trust in God. He doesn't have it all. And notice, he offers all, he asked for all this money. I have a number here. I didn't do the math, but in my study Bible, what was asked back in verse 14 was $115 million and $172 million in, in today's money. And what does he offer him in return uh, down here at the bottom? A couple thousand horses. It's not a good exchange rate with the devil. <laughs> you, you and I, we just aren't going to get. I can't think of any time in my life, personally, where I've compromised or I've negotiated with the devil where I ever got what I thought I was going to get. 
You're listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. If you joined us late or would just like to hear this message again, turn to calvaryaurora.org. Or you can listen through our apps, too. Search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play. If you take a brief moment to write or call, that would make our day. Let us know the station you're listening to and if today's study was a blessing to your life. We'd also love to pray for you. You can email us through the website at calvaryaurora.org. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. And when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of A.W. Tozer's book, The Pursuit of God. While many believers have settled for mediocrity or are living much like the world, that doesn't have to be your life story. You can experience a close and intimate relationship with God. Allow Tozer to point the way as you read The Pursuit of God. We appreciate the generosity of our listeners. It helps us provide the teaching of God's Word on stations all across the nation. We're constantly hearing from listeners that have been helped and are growing by God's abounding grace. Thank you for standing with us. Call 877-30-GRACE or visit calvaryaurora.org. And then be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from the Word of God. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado.